Hello, hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Samaritan Soapbox. I'm Dunk, they, them pronouns. And I'm Divi. I also use they, them pronouns. And this week we are joined by an illustrious guestpert. Illustrious. <laughs> How do you spell ideas. illustrious? I don't know. I'm dyslexic. But th- this okay. is usually the, the this is usually the time where where the guest introduces themselves. If that's not yeah, that. hello, <laughs> hello, my name is Julian or King Jules. I also use they them pronouns uh, both in and out of drag. Yes, king. we are they thems only once today. again. <laughs> once again, hitting it with the they thems only. No, again and again. Woo-hoo. Don't call it a comeback. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Julian, would you like to? In- Introduce yourself to the lovely people. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. So um, as you've mentioned, my name is Julian. I am a Master's of Divinity and Master's of Pastoral Studies student um, at Emmanuel College here in Toronto. I am studying to be minister within the United Church of Canada and also a psychotherapist. Um, But I do that as my drag persona, King Jules, which is a drag clown. Um, and I have a lot of fun doing that and bringing these worlds together. I'm also chair of the board for Affirm United, Sacrome Ensemble, which is uh, an organization that partners with the United Church and outside of it to bring resources to various communities of faith and other groups um, who are looking to affirm and fully include queer people uh, in their work and mission. And I think you also have a connection to SEM. Oh, yeah, of course. (laughs) And I'm one of the board members for SCM um, as of the last year. So I've gotten to know you two through that um, and some of the other members of the crew. Yeah. 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 And we've we've only gotten to know each other through SCM Canada board meetings. (laughs) Nothing else. Nothing else. (laughs) Nothing else. No, we go to the same school. (laughs) Strictly a professional relationship. Duncan Julian are definitely have... Maybe you have seen each other more in person than even me and Dunk has seen each other in person, I think, right? I, I would say if if Germany is one meeting, then yes. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's true. Yeah. We haven't traveled the world together yet, but Not yet. You know, maybe Ooh, we'll yet. get there. Yeah. Wow. Definitely. I love it. I, okay. So you said you're doing your master's of divinity and you're doing psychotherapy. And then you said you're doing them both. Or no, you didn't say both, but you said you're doing them in drag. Does that mean you're also doing psychotherapy in your drag persona? Um, so I'm actually just starting that program uh, next month. So I haven't, I did one year of my Master's of Divinity and I'm adding on the Master's of Pastoral Studies beginning of this year. So um, when I do spiritual care when I um, and when I am going to do therapy in the future, um, it's going to be up to 
the client or the person that I'm speaking with their comfort level. You know, if they want to meet me first out of drag so they know that I'm, you know, <laughs> a human underneath it all, I'm totally willing to do that. Um, and, you know, if it makes them more comfortable to, to engage in these kinds of conversations with a drag artist um, who, you know, maybe they don't know what they look like personally. So if they saw me on the street, they wouldn't know that I was their therapist. Right. So there's there's these levels of um, relationship that I would have to build with the clientele. Um, and I think I'm going to take that on a person by person basis as it comes. And uh, when Jules says uh, that they're starting this program next month, they actually mean this month because uh, we totally didn't record this episode almost a month in advance of when it's going to be released. <laughs> that, that why would you ever think that listener? Jeez, you're you didn't crazy. have to point it out. We could have kept the illusion of time. Time, time is an illusion, and that that is a falsehood, and therefore immoral. This podcast exists outside of time and space, so don't worry about that. Precisely. Um, Yeah. yeah. So, what (laughs) led you into wanting to become? Well, I guess I have two questions, which ultimately lead to the one at a time. I can only handle so much, you know. (laughs) Okay, I'll say what ultimately led you to this path that you're on now, and within that question is what led you into wanting to go into ministry. Okay, so I'm going to start with that one because that one came first. Um, I had a very Samuel-esque moment as a child um, that I remember very vividly and, um, you know, feeling a physical, hearing my name be called and not knowing where it's from. And it was very strange for me. And at that point, I was going to Sunday school every week. I, this I'm about eight or nine years old when this happened. And like the next... Sunday at Sunday school, what story did we read but Samuel? And it all sort of clicked to me, like maybe something else is happening here. Um, and that same Sunday, one of the, the men in my church came to me and said, you know, you, you seem really comfortable. Have you ever thought about being a minister? And it was sort of one of those moments where it all happened so close together that it, it just, I knew what was going on and I could not, like, <laughs> I couldn't look past it. Um, and so since then, I've been, you know, leading in worship and um, running Sunday school as soon as I could, doing day camps and vacation Bible school. And I was a summer camp kid as well. So any opportunity to do something church related, um, either for myself or lead for others, um, I was I was on it <laughs> and still am. Um, and I've been saying since I was, you know, 11 or 12, that ministry is what I want to do, what I not even what I want to do, like what I'm meant to do and what is, you know, the the path for me. Um, and I initially reached out to the candidacy board where I was living when I was 13 and scheduled myself an interview with them. Um, and I remember them calling me and asking me if there was a typo in my birthday. And I said, no, like, <laughs> you know, this is, it's true. You know, I'm in high school and like, you know, and they're like, oh, people usually do these interviews when they're in grad school. So why don't you just come back? Um, but come back later, basically. And I was like, weird, but okay, sure. Like, <laughs> I'll be back. Um, and here I am a decade later, back again. I'm uh, back. And I laughed about it with the woman in the office because she said, oh, yeah, you have a file here. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know. <laughs> I haven't wavered. Um, so At least I, they I took love this you work. seriously as a 13-year-old. They were like, yeah, let's create the file and keep it just in case. Like oh, they could I mean, have been like any, oh, any chance the United Church it. Vocations Office can get their claws into a youth, get them contracted up, you know, just just get them to sign some sort of blood oath. It, they're gonna take it. Oh my Whatever committee they want to throw me on, you know, it's yeah. Any way to keep the youth on board? 
Mm-hmm. And you said you never yeah. wavered. Is that facts? Like there wasn't like a specific period in time you're like, you know what? Maybe I should think about doing something other than ministry. Um, no, <laughs> like it's, I've always been so passionate and so called and so sure that ministry is for me. And I think the one thing that constantly pulls me back is how much is within the realm of ministry, right? Like there's um, hospital visits, there's end of life care, there's funerals, there's weddings, there's baptisms, there's Sunday services, there's, you know, the list goes on. There's so much that a congregational leader does for their community and and can facilitate in that space. and I keep learning more, right? There's there's more and more responsibilities or more and more perks of the job that I don't know about because I'm not there yet. But, you know, it, it keeps just making it better for me and, and keeps solidifying. Like, these are all things that I love to do and that I think are crucial to the life and work of the church, um, whether that's capital C church or whether that's, you know, church in the sense of community um it yeah it's what i meant to do and i i feel like i've always known that of course i have doubts as a human being about you know my capacity or my capabilities to do things but you know anytime i spend discerning about it i come right back here um and so you know the the anxieties and the worries become easier and easier to to manage because no matter how many times I pray about it, no matter how many tarot cards I pull, no matter you know how many hours and hours I spend thinking about it, I come back to this point of, no, I'm in the right place, doing what I need to be doing. I think a lot of people must be, this feels like a harsh word, but jealous I, I, of that type of certainty. Um, I've gone to a place for me where I actually quite enjoy exploring and trying different things, but I think that there is still, you know, that part of me is like, man, I wish I could just like pick a thing and be so like in love with that thing for years and just, you know, be so committed. I think it's really rare that people are that sure. So that's really amazing to me. Yeah. And I feel very lucky and very blessed. Um, And, you know, to have known my, my life, goal basically from you know before I was even a teenager is unheard of I mean even in high school this is what I was talking about and you know all through my undergrad when I was doing gender sexuality and women's studies I was saying you know I'm studying this so I can be a better minister it's what I've been gunning for forever you know every leadership conference I go to every skills workshop I attend all of it is so that I can be a better minister and care for people no matter who they are where they come from where they're at because it's different skills for different people in different situations um and I've always wanted to be able to care for whoever needed it and was there I'm definitely in a bubble I would say to a certain degree because uh, I think when I talk to people who are in the United Church, there's a sense of, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, both of you I assume would know, but there seems to be a sense of abundance of community. Um, whereas the thing that scared me about being a minister or made me he- makes me hesitant to join ministry in any way is, is the feeling that, yeah, I also 
I too would join because I love the idea of leading a community and serving a community and all those types of things. But that there's a fear of like, does is that community still going to exist? Because it feels like, at least in the church background, but I did grow up Pentecostal and that seems to be dying out or the youth that I would have loved to, you know, be a part of and serve as a community or you know, the Filipino communities that I exist in. It feels like those churches are almost non-existent, at least not queer-affirming ones and things like that. So do you ever have that fear? Or is that is that is it the case in the United Church that it feels like, oh, we feel very strong and hopeful? I, I definitely have that worry in a couple of different ways. So as somebody who's very vibrantly queer and trans and preaching in drag, you know, finding an affirming place to work and exist in is very important to me and is something that you know I have put my foot down quite a few times I will not work at a church if it's not affirming um, I simply won't because if I'm going to work to support people and and care for them it feels like you know one of the needs that I have is being understood and having people understand where I'm coming from um, and that's, that's largely the work of Affirm and the Affirming program is to give communities of faith the tools they need to be able to understand various queer identities, to understand what it means to be an ally, what it means to affirm, capital A, affirm, and not just tolerate, right? Um, so I do have that. And I, and I, and I do fear about, um, you know, the the prospects of ministry positions. I mean, presently in the United Church, I think about 54% of all placements are halftime, um, which, you know, is a good amount of them, you know. And so that's part of the reason that I'm also studying for the psychotherapy credentials and things like that is because I don't know where the church is going to be and I want to be able to care for people and I want to be able to still provide space and community and healing and that can look so many different ways and especially when we're talking about healing trauma healing religious trauma I want to be able to have the proper mental health tools so that I'm a not re-traumatizing people by trying to have these conversations but also that we can heal in ways that are long-lasting and are meaningful to who I'm talking to yeah, I think for my perspective, I mean, like, yeah, the the aspect of making sure that a congregation is queer affirming is super important. I think for myself, um, you know, with how I am and how I present, um, I feel as though I have a little bit more flexibility to a certain degree, but obviously with comfort, you know, that, that does have a limit. Um, my hope really is to I mean, you know, I, I, I could spend a while going into, like, you know, church governance politics, uh, you know, Ministry of Governance and Administration <laughs> in the United Church of Canada, but um, I'm not going to bore and lose our listeners. Um, you know, basically, oh, there's... manual. Oh, fucking hell, I could go on about a manual, too. But um, <laughs> we're not going to... We're not going to get into that. Um, but uh, straight up, I mean, like... W- there are so many resources available to every single congregation, but because of the free church method, which again, we're not going to get into, um, like 
so many congregations, especially rural ministry congregations, um, just don't realize that they have access to these things and these educational resources and these programs for new ministry and stuff. Um, so my hope is to like, you know, basically like having such a background in urban ministry and youth initiative and new ministry in urban settings, um, bringing that to rural congregations and making more rural congregations officially like affirming and such um so that's kind of more of what i'm hoping to do in that regard um which does involve you know probably some more difficult work and difficult conversations at times um but i think there's a lot of you know lowercase a queer affirming churches in rural areas uh and especially with the united church um but again, there, there's just no there's no realization of the access to educational resources, so that needs to be brought forward into that those areas. Um, so that's like something that needs to be done. But yeah, the United Church is is very weird because of its, you know, free church method. So yeah, as as Jules mentioned, like you know, a certain percentage of congregations are queer affirming, but it's not like a mandatory About 10%. thing about 10%, which is, like, an abysmal amount, right? I mean, all of them claim to be, like, queer-affirming to a certain degree or whatever, but, like, the official educational resources are only being utilized by 10%, right? Um, and, and that's 10% of United Churches? 10% or? of United Churches, yeah. Wow, I'm surprised. Um, so that's one of those things. But also, like, specifically, especially in rural ministry, like, thing is those queer-affirming or open queer... Um, queer tolerant whatever you want to call them uh churches um are going to be like overwhelmingly white communities which is something you kind of mentioned with like you know wanting to be in like a, a filipino community or being in a poc community right like that is definitely a limitation in the united church of canada there's a lot of amazing like anti-racist uh educational materials from like the general council office and stuff which is like the head office um, but again, like individual congregations don't always access those things or recognize that those exist or realize that those exist. Um, so it can, there's, there's definitely, um, especially given the age demographic of, of United Churches, um, there, there's usually some, there's usually some fun conversations in that term or that regard as, as well, which makes ministry a little bit weird for people of color, but you know, mm. That's interesting. Some yeah. argue that that's the it's, reason why we need more POC ministers. So it's kind of like, yeah, that's the that's the hard part. <laughs> that's the hard part for me is like, I, I, don't want to feel like I'm asking for too much is the wrong phrasing because that makes it sound like what I'm asking for is ridiculous, which it's not. But um, we had a, another guest, I think, in our last episode. It, that we were, you know, we were talking about, and I, I write to her a lot in terms of growing up in a very like Holy Spirit centered congregation that is very uh, Filipino in my case, and that is very superstitious, but like it's just very um, spiritual, like it's very Holy Ghosty, and I think that a lot of queer affirming churches they're white, and or they're also more. 
bland is the word that comes to mind. Not that it is bland, but that it feels that way to me because of the experience I grew up in and how you experience the culture of church and what God feels like to you is hard to feel that again in another setting, which again, maybe I'm not giving certain churches the benefit of the doubt. Maybe I just haven't been to enough, but that's the struggle I find myself in. Um, I mean, what I what I can probably say, like, you know, having some experience, especially seeing um, worship and liturgy kind of designed and envisioned by, you know, friends of the show like Simon um, and such like and, and looking at and seeing more like BIPOC um, worship and, and praise uh, lit- liturgy like, you know, I, th- I think bland is honestly a very fair word to describe like the United Church of Canada sometimes um, because <laughs> like, you know, we are an amalgamation of like Methodist, Mennonite, um, and like Presbyterian. So it's literally just like the biggest, the biggest, uh, you know, cultural aspects we take from um, or cultures we take from are like Scottish and English, teetoting deeply Protestant, colonial. deeply colonial. Yeah, but it's it's like that like teetoting Protestant little lady prim and proper like yeah it's it's just it's it's it is very bland you know it's it's the people that don't cook with with seasoning right or salt like it's <gasps> it's just one of those things i say <laughs> this as someone who is there. half scottish like it's don't just one of those there. things like i'm also half scottish i'm english and scottish there you go my people exactly so you know it's like it's it's just it's yeah it's that prim and proper teetoting little lady vibe that is that is the United Church of Canada. Like you can go and there will be a different liturgical ordo in every United Church you go to in a city. Like in a single city, you can go to five different ones. It'll be like, you know, each one will be at a slightly different time of, of Sunday morning. Each one will have a different liturgical ordo. Each one will have a completely different architectural design. Or each one will use like, you know, different musical in, uh, elements or, or different preaching style, different length of, pre, like, uh, of sermons. Um, but every single one of them will have the same like crappy coffee and tea at the end and friendship hour or whatever. Um, it's going to be the same little ladies asking the same questions of you or making the same comments um, about you. Um, and it's going to be the same stale fucking Oreos. Like it's just, it's like the, those aspects are, are always going to be the same. And that, that does color sort of everything else a little bit as well. Like even the differences are all joined by the sort of like, yeah, it's like this prim proper British blandness. Oh no, are your cats acting up? It's the rabbit. Oh, the rabbit. Jerry. Jerry, is that the cat's name? I mean, rabbit, sorry. Yeah. Oh, it's actually really funny about Jules's rabbit though. We can we can talk about our our rabbit connection. He he kind of got given to me. We'll put it that way. And I had no idea what kind of rabbit he was, but he's gigantic. He's about 10 pounds of rabbit. And (laughs) Dunk was over at my house and I was introducing my guests to my animals. And Dunk was like, oh, I know what kind of rabbit this is. (laughs) Um, And so Dunk was giving me these facts about um, how Jerry is a Flemish giant. And um, then I spent so long looking up Flemish giants and what they actually are um and I took him to the vet and the vet confirmed that's exactly the kind of rabbit he is oh wow (laughs) yeah given size and color um like straight up I think could and and age could very well be um like the same litter as 
my partner's rabbit, Lola. What? That's yeah, funny. which was also a rehome. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. Your rabbits could be siblings. They could be. We're never That's introducing them. Because <laughs> rabbits gonna... are known for not recognizing sibling. <laughs> what do they do? Oh. They're rabbits. <laughs> <laughs> they do what rabbits do. <laughs> Yeah. As the story goes, <laughs> um, I, I'm going to pivot a little bit because I want, well, no, pivot a lot from rabbits, but pivot a little bit from what we were talking about earlier, because I found it interesting that you mentioned the idea of healing and ca- community care and that that's always what you wanted to do. And you always wanted to be a minister from when you were like nine, because to me, I think I felt this, not, uh, I don't want to say it's similar because it is quite different, but I felt, uh, what I felt that was similar was like a pull towards God, more specifically what I perceived to be God at that time. And yet there was a big hypocrisy there because as a child, I was so unable to frame certain things. We, me and Dunk were saying we were dipshits at 15. Like I was a jackass, honestly, I was very caring, but I was also a jackass. Um, and there was so much brokenness there. Um, I wanted to be a social worker at one point, but I was like, I can't even handle my own shit. How am I going to be a social worker? And, you know, all that type of stuff. Yeah, so I'm curious, like, when you talk about wanting to heal, what does that mean as a parallel to healing for yourself? (laughs) Um, So I would not be here alive in the most real way without the people that were youth leaders for me, the people that were ministers for me, the people that gave me that care. Um, And they changed my life, you know, like I would go to retreats as a child, right? And, And these youth leaders, these Sunday school teachers would make me feel more seen and more loved than I felt most of the time. Um, And you know, I was also not the greatest person at 15, 16. And that didn't change anything for my youth group leaders, right? Like they, they still supported me, they saw when I needed help, you know, they saw when I was doing things that weren't so great. And um, even now, like, the ministers that I have in my life, are what have got me through some of my deepest traumas. Um, and to be able to provide that for other people through the means of faith, because that's how, you know, I've experienced it, um, is the goal. And I'm not saying I want to be, you know, people's rock and, you know, the one that saves their life, you know, if that happens, great. That's not the point, right? The point is to ensure that people know that they are seen and they are full whole beings and they matter and whatever they're going through whatever they've done whatever has been done to them that's a part of that story um and you know that's something that I have to remind myself often in my own healing journey and you know this summer for me started off very traumatic and I I went through a very drastic life change um and it was being able to call my ministers or, you know, go out for a drink with a minister I used to work for and now we're colleagues, 
right? And, and being able to still have that <clears throat> that relationship of spiritual care, um, and yet it can now present in in a variety of different ways. There's like there's so many different ways that care can exist, um, and it's just so powerful to care about people and when they need it and see them realize that they're cared for whether that's cared for by god whether that's cared for by the minister whether that's cared for by the community by their people by themselves do they care for themselves seeing that and being able to bring people to that realization um or to that moment that of hope that maybe it's possible that they'll realize that uh that's sort of like what that means to me you know talking about the amount of support and and the the amazing amount of community that you get um from colleagues and mentors um you know that, that that's a, that's a pretty shared experience for a lot of the you know younger folks in our program um you know and it's 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 been a true blessing from my experience so i can only imagine that it's the same for you um to have that experience and especially that that time in which you can start calling you know previous mentors and such colleagues um is really like special and meaningful and amazing and and i think the support that we get from fellow community members and colleagues is is like really you know it's it's unparalleled um but i think a lot of us also experience um I would say, like, you know, issues and, um, you know, barriers in our discernment and calling to ministry with, like, denominational aspects. So do you feel comfortable maybe uh, maybe talking about your experience with that? Or we can we don't have to talk about that, but, like... Yeah, I can talk about that for sure. Um... I'm going to start this by saying I love the church. I've always loved the church and I will continue to love the church. And the goal long term is to be a minister in the church and eventually moderator. That's always been my goal. Um, but I'm having a hell of a time getting the process going. Um, I initially tried to start the process last year, probably in about January or February, sending some emails. Um, to the first person in that journey and you know that person didn't respond to my emails for months uh and i sent follow-up emails saying hey like uh, i want to get this going like you know i'm finally in grad school <laughs> like you know and i wasn't hearing anything and it came to my attention that a couple of our classmates were hearing from this person no problem getting email responses um, being able to phone them um et cetera, et cetera. And the people that were able to contact this person um, were white, were male presenting. And those of us that have been having a lot of issues are in neither of those categories or uh, one of those categories. Um, and so I sent an email again to this person saying, listen, it's starting to feel intentional that you're not responding to me. I'm going to give it a week and then I'm going to go over your head which I did. And I, I took this issue to the general counsel office, which is like, as Dunk mentioned, sort of a, the head office of the United church. And I said, listen, this is feeling really intentional because there are people that I know 
that are white and male presenting that are not having an issue speaking to this person. Um, but a lot of us who are femmes and or not white are having issues. And essentially the response I got was, we know, we know this person, they're not like that. Um, and then instead of, you know, having meetings and sorting through my feelings with this person, they transferred me to another region so that I could do my candidacy interviews in another region so that I wouldn't feel like there was any bias. Instead of having this person confront that they left me on red for three months and then didn't acknowledge it. So then I, then I do my first interview through another region and I pass, which is lovely. And then someone who um, was following my, my personal social media that's very small and secret took screenshots of some very personal things and some um, jokes that I was making for uh, my drag friends, my sex worker friends, and sent screenshots to my candidacy board complaining that um, I don't understand boundaries and that, you know, I'm doing things that are wildly inappropriate. Specifically so, wildly inappropriate I, for a minister is what they said, right? I, I, I think so. They, the, the board actually wouldn't let me speak to this person. They wouldn't tell me who this person was, despite United Church policy saying they don't take anonymous complaints. And, you know, mm -hmm. they, they do, they do meetings when complaints are, are, are brought forward. Um, that didn't happen in this case. Uh, so I had a meeting with the candidacy board again, um, that said, you know, I, I'm, I'm sorry. I can understand some of these things are, are inappropriate and there are some boundaries potentially I think that I'm understanding here and I also understand that ministry is a public facing position which is why on my public social medias I filter very heavily what goes through there because anybody that follows them could be a potential congregant could be a potential client my personal things however are not in the same realm Hell, I have a third Instagram account that I use specifically for talking to youth because I block all my youth from my main account because I strictly understand that working with children is even more complex and complicated. I, I understand boundaries. <laughs> I do. Um, so after this meeting, they decided to revoke the passing of my first interview and told me to... They said a couple of queerphobic things in their letter to me as well, um, stating that I have a double life uh, in the queer nightlife community and in ministry, that it's a, a double life that I'm leading and I need to consider the theology behind leading a life with two centers, is what the letter said. Yep. And then they told me to form a discernment committee and come back in two years. And... It's been just over a year, and I'm still waiting for clear instruction on what they want the discernment committee to look like. Um, been getting left on red for quite some time, and I have to get my mentor to email them because they won't respond to me. And it's been over a year, and I still don't know what they want me to do. Wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's I, fresh. Yeah. 
<laughs> and the, the the sad thing is is that that's not even such a wild story for the United Church candidacy vocations no. office like it's you know and that's somebody like me who's who's driven and passionate and extroverted mm-hmm. and not afraid to tell people they're wrong not afraid to stand up for myself and i just know that a lot of people are slipping through the cracks because they don't either understand the system the way that i do i've read the manual front to back many times <laughs> you know i know how the united church works there's surely a lot of people entering this process that don't that maybe are afraid to speak out that maybe you know don't know who to go to next whereas like i've you know i i know ministers i know people that work in the governance right mm-hmm. like i used to work for um past moderator richard bott at his church in vancouver when i lived there <laughs> like I know people and can reach out and I'm very blessed in that way. And I know that there are people that are not. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes this so much worse is like, if this is happening to me and I'm having this much trouble exactly, as a white, you know, a white, deeply connected church person, what does that say about the people that are entering this process who are POC, who are black, who are indigenous, who are disabled, who are, you know, unfamiliar with the United church, who are X, Y, Z. Yeah, it's it's really not fun. <laughs> um, no. Yeah, and the thing, yeah, like there's, I, I can say like that, like, you know, it's it's kind of cool that they had uh, your your file back from when you were like 12, 13, 14. Um, you know, uh, as some people know, like they sort of changed their whole candidacy pathway system um, back in like 2018, 2017. Um, I, I originally started my candidacy process um, in 2016 um, and soon after that soon after that started um, they said oh we're like really overhauling things so we'll like you know get back to you and that's sort of remade um, and then in 2020 I reached out to that office and they said they had no absolutely no record of my candidacy pathway ever um, so I had to completely start from scratch and like that was again after like months of being like hey what's going on um, you know they finally get back to me and like oh yeah no we sorry we we looked and we didn't find anything so we didn't know how to respond to you and I'm like <laughs> okay so where do we go from here right and it's it was just um, yeah and then ongoing months of ridiculousness and, and nobody fully explained the process to me um, like nobody into that help they kind of just like told me like one step at a time and like you know usually only a couple days before whatever deadline they posted for me so it's like you know I have to get like three letters of recommendation and I had like five days to do it and it's like okay great (laughs) you know how am I gonna do that right um it was just a, a absolutely disastrous disastrous situation right and of course you know for, for both of us, that also means losing out on financial benefits uh, because the candidacy pathway is linked to grants for Emmanuel College for our tuition. Oh. Yeah. Well. So it's like... And when I brought that up to the candidacy board, they told me they didn't even think about that. Yeah, what a same, with, of course same not. with mine. Of course. Yeah. That must be especially frustrating because, as you've mentioned, you, you've known that this is what you're doing since you were a 910. And it felt like such a clear calling, like, okay, this is what's happening. 
And then for the thing in your way to actually be like the body that has to officially recognize you or take your application or whatever, be the thing that's preventing this from happening. That sounds like if I was in my old church, they would like render that to being such like a test of like a I could easily compare it to Bible stories of like, oh, see, this person was promised this, but they didn't get it till like years later and blah, blah, blah. But I imagine like being in the midst of that and that being the blockage. It's, okay, another thing is like part of the pull of what I guess Dunk has tried to convince me multiple times, I would say, to be part of like the United Church. And it's so queer affirming, it's so progressive. And of course it is. And I know lovely, amazing people in the United Church and they are like the people I know in the United Church are very wonderful, but it seems that like every, nearly every institution, um, of course, every institution does have its faults, but it seems like this one in particular is again, it's things that are going against you based on your identity, which is the freedom that I suppose you would want from a United Church, for example, compared to other churches. So that's really interesting. I just keep reminding myself, you know, like the United Church didn't call me, God did. And whether the United Church wants to recognize my God calling is up to them. You know, the free church method means that so many congregations can do and be so different from each other, um, which is like amazing in so many ways, but it also makes everything on a larger governance scale so much more difficult and vague and then of course because there's so little support between these like you know three aspects of governance that's there region general council and congregation like you know there's yeah one so little information between so many of these organizations but two like there's just so much i would say like bureaucratic incompetence as well that that's what i've encountered the most with regional um stuff to be honest like it's as as someone coming from like a, a BIPOC background like you know I I've I've never thought about it in regards to identity I don't think I've ever seen any aspects in with my regional council being um you know discriminatory in based on upon identity or such but it's it's just an overall complete lack of competence like yeah I think I part know. of it too is like they they changed over the structure and the governance mm -hmm. and unfortunately a lot of the staff weren't prepared yeah and they haven't done a lot of you know the the supporting of the staff that needs to be done so the staff are overworked or they're stretched too thin or they don't know what's in their contract and you know it just like layer by layer peels back to this huge change was made and a lot of the things that needed to change with it didn't and so now a lot of the staff a lot of the volunteers are trying to pick up those pieces and it's letting things like this happen because they weren't prepared for it and they didn't think about what would happen when you know you cut that amount of staff when you change job descriptions like that when you etc 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 yeah and it's kind of one of those things like I, th I think part of the reason why i'm still motivated to tell people like yeah, I want to be part of the United Church and I want to be seeking ministry. And I feel like, Jules, you'll probably relate to this as well. Like why I'm telling other people who are interested in ministry, like who fit this sort of United Church vibe 
as far as I understand it, um, like the reason why I'm still encouraging that is because it's still the best denomination in Canada, given all of these issues. And there are a lot of people who are causing these issues that are much older, who are probably not going to necessarily be working in 10 years time. So I think there's a really meaningful change coming. And I think there's a lot of incredible opportunities for advancement for people like us moving forward in the next 10 years. Um, and so like, I guess, you know, the same way that uh, Divi, you know, you've been wanting to like really have some amazing and meaningful change and uh, for the people that are on the SEM board, um, people that are motivated and involved to like improve it. Um, I think it's the same thing for the United Church right now. It's like, we want to have people that are willing to put in that work and wanting to, to do that and seeing the issues so that we know how to fix and address them. Like it's, it's vital because this is like the best option that queer Christians have in Canada. Yeah, I don't know of anywhere else that would let me preach and drag safely. Amen. That's interesting because I I was I was tempted, and I guess now I'll do it because I'm talking about it, to kind of throw (laughs) SEM Canada under the bus, under this hypothetical bus, because I I understand that you know we're we're speaking from our own experience because we're we are speaking out of love and that I actually Julian said something in a previous meeting actually. That I ended up messaging you about it right after where it's like love means calling people out. And when we're working within these organizations that we love and we are optimistic about and we so much see so much opportunity for, we also see and want to criticize all the way in that all the ways that it's broken so that we can then try to repair and, and fix those things. And SEM Canada, I 100% feel the same way in, in terms of the lack of competency, not because individuals are incompetent, but because maybe decisions were made or maybe you know, I wasn't around, I didn't know what happened, but decisions were maybe made along the line that led to certain things, that led to certain other things, that now it looks as it does now. Um, And there are certain things that I see, I'm like, oh, as a newcomer coming in, it's easy for me to say, oh, this shouldn't be this way, and this needs to be fixed, and, you know, try to fix it as much as I can. Um, And also recognizing that there's, like, a long history of decision-making and high turnover and things like that that leads it to be as it is. Um, And sometimes I, I, I... I do wa- I'm tempted to just give up like I not a lot but um, it's similar to when I talk to people about SEM and I talk about healing from um, trauma that comes from religious upbringings I, part of what I say is that um, some people heal by leaving the church and you should or leaving religion leaving this perception of God and you shouldn't have to feel guilty about that choice if that's the form that your healing has to come i'm not a person to say that this way is the right way or this way is the wrong way to become you know the best version of yourself and whatnot and so i try to give myself that same grace and say hey if this is something that you know it's too difficult or it's too hard and it's um, not necessarily with the energy to put into then it's okay if you want to leave and abandon this this mode of going about how to do your healing work or how to do this communal care work or whatever um, but at the same time, yeah, there's like, there's that love in me that I feel that maybe is similar to what Julian was saying of the love you have for church. And, um, I, I still have that inside me and I'm still waiting and hoping that that space will be created or I'll find that space, um, that will kind of 
I don't know. It'll just feel right. That's what I'm hoping yeah. for. Like, I'm finding I'm, I'm the one, but it's it. church. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a sucker for the church. I love some good liturgy. I cry at every single baptism I ever see. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. there's so much about the church that just fills my soul and, and you know, makes me know that that's where I belong. But bureaucracy and church, for me, are two different pieces. And you have to deal with one to get, you know, to get through the, with the other. But. I don't know. I, I find myself constantly thinking about, like, Martin Luther. Just, like, you know, just this dissatisfaction with, like, the grotesque bureaucracy and inflation of, like, a large-scale church denomination organization power structure um, that is, in a way, I think, like, you know, having... I guess like Christian supremacy or like, you know, um, you know, Christian authority of any kind is kind of like an oxymoron in a weird way or like anti-theatical in a way um, because, you know, Christ uh, first and foremost is protest. Um, and I think that's like, you know, something that honestly, like when, when I think about describing Jules is um, like, I guess, role in ministry, it is like very, I, the, the word that comes to mind is Christ-like and I really hope that doesn't go to your head. Um, but like, um, no, that's so humbling. I know, right? What's that? Yeah. What's that Kanye song? No, 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 Christ like. <laughs> he's just talking about how people think he's not Christ like. That was a deep one. Fair enough. Um, yeah, Jules is also the abomination of Obama's nation, but, um, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> um, also very humbling. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, wow. sit down, stay humble. Oh, wait, no, that's not Kanye. Um, <laughs> That is but um, it is very Christ-like because like it is it is this idea of like performance and protest and like you know I, I think when you were talking before one thing that was reminding me of like um, you know something that I mentioned in the last uh, episode is like you know Jesus says like uh, it's like I, I come bringing fire um, you know it's like I you think I come to to preach peace I do not like I preach conflict I preach um, you know discomfort and like you know. In, like I, I I want families to fight you know and and I want controversy and I I want you all to to see the issues and and to fight for them or against them um you know it is that like you know God saying like I I my word the, like the word of me <laughs> is not a um is not a far-off dream it is a hammer my word is a hammer um you know you need to like bring that apart right so like i don't know maybe maybe at some point we just need to like you know nail a big page to the to the door of the general office uh 95 (laughs) reasons why you need to fuck off you know i don't know but like (laughs) there is it it is i i i don't know what it is maybe i maybe it's just something about like the more i study theology the less i like church structure organization as a theologian you know what i mean like the less like i i appreciate the church in some ways and it's like that that doesn't mean that i don't want to be a part of the church that doesn't mean that i like you know i'm saying fuck the church um but like yeah there is just one of those things of like i i guess i guess there's some weird aspects of joining or being a part of a centralized power structure of faith and that's, I think, like, maybe part of the value of what I see about SEM and why I put so much of my heart in SEM, because it is this, like, grassroots movement from the margins. But, like, you can't necessarily have a, a church organization built like that. Not in the modern day, anyway. 
That's really interesting. I think um, it's 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 a weird balance of uh, authority, and that's probably why the, I assume the United Church is the whole free. You said free church model, or yeah, free like church that. method. Yeah, where it's you know you you want to give people the freedom to make their decisions, and I think churches church and groups and programs in general can be really powerful when they feel more organic and feel more created by um, a smaller group. But at the same time, that creates a lot of lack of harmony, maybe, when there's not some agreement on really basic things like being queer affirming, for example. Um, so, yeah, that's interesting. But then again, like, you uh, know, harmony kind of at, at a certain point feels like uniformity. And when you have uniformity, you know, you can't have, um, like, you know, a charismatic preacher style like what I do in the same denomination as a super cool drag performer preacher like Jules or like, you know, a deep old soul Seamus Haney, Seamus Heaney, like, um, you know, one of our, uh, one of the preaching styles of, of a friend of ours, uh, Katie, right? Like you, you can't have all three of those in the same denomination if it's too harmonious. So there's like some give and take, I guess. Yeah, totally. And I think, um, you have to recognize what are the important things we need to be united on, for example, <laughs> like think being queer affirming, <laughs> like there's some things where it's like, these things are important and they, they should, and there should be protocol for looking at things like if there's clear evidence of something like someone who's not responding to a particular group of people's emails for months and then attending to all these other types of emails very quickly, it's like there's evidence there, there's a physicality there, there's like, a, it's materialized, it's not a, it's not a necessarily just a feeling of it feels targeted, there's proof if you dig into it, you can find out whether this claim is true or not. So you would think that that would be something people would take on. And it's really like disheartening to hear. But at the same time, it's also very empowering to hear how the passion doesn't waver for like, you still know that that's what you're going to do. You're still like, yeah, I'm going to be in ministry. You're not, you're not like, oh, maybe this isn't going to work out after all. Like you're, you still have that, um, yeah. which I admire. I mean, the, the month after the meeting that they revoked my promise, I got elected as chair of a firm. Um, and since then, I've been, you know, preaching across the country, thanks COVID and online church, you know, um, and I've been giving workshops and doing story times with girl guide groups and all of these sorts of things. Um, and just sort of bringing myself to the spaces that welcome me, that want me, that understand my work and where I'm coming from. Um, because, yeah, like, I, I know that I'm doing what's right because nothing makes me feel like this. Mm. Amen. So if for you, it seems like a combination of how you're coping is you have this internal knowing, this internal sense of knowing, and you're also getting some validation from people who are saying, yes, we do want you to speak. We do want you to um, do story time. And then you also have your other fellow ministers and your mentor who are uh, also validating that as well. So it seems like you have a really good structure for you to succeed, which I'm happy to hear and, and see. 
uh, do you also mostly feel that sense? Yeah, you know, and of course it's it's a it's a learning experience, right? It always is going to be. And being at Emmanuel, I, I learn new things every day about ministry, about how I want to preach, about how I want to read scripture, about how I want to engage with people. I mean, I only started bringing my drag into my ministry because I read a book by our program director, Natalie Wick-Stevenson, um, called Theology as Performance Art. And I was reading through this book and it just sort of clicked to me that the way that I use my drag and the way that I do ministry can be in, like, they're, they're so heavily linked and it's so deeply personal to me um, that combining them just made sense. And, you know, I, I learn new things every day and I learn from the people around me and I'm so blessed. I don't know everything and I never will, right? It, it, but being a minister also to me is about accepting that and, and being willing to to learn and grow alongside where we are being called, alongside where our community needs us to be. Um, yeah. We're, we're coming close to an hour, so I feel we should wrap up soon, even though I feel like I could ask you so many more questions. So I hope that yeah, I wanna, you come like, on again in the future. I, w- I want to ask um, a couple of like rapid-fire questions, lighting round questions, ooh. just so our listeners can like get a better sense of who Jules is. Like, can I a, just... Before you do that, I have to say something, which is that this idea of rapid fire questions was actually uh, an idea that was brought up in the beginning of this podcast before me and Dunk started doing I don't know if Dunk remembers, but I was like, no. what if at the end we had, okay, clearly does, Dunk doesn't remember, <laughs> but I was like, what if at the end we had some like, quick rapid fire questions for the guests to wrap up, like one word answers really short to wrap it up. And then Dunk was like, that's a little corny. I know other people do that. And so I hear you come up in this podcast and say let's do some rapid fire questions i'm just shaking my head dunk because you really played me like that and now your true colors are showing so look i am vast <laughs> and contain multitudes i do not beholden <laughs> to we're, past we're conversations people we can change our mind yes that's true i'm like an onion um, i have layers i know i agree <laughs> we can, we're allowed to change that's fine um, but before you go into your room, Julian, don't don't die, don't choke on us. Okay. Before we should have made people sign a waiver. Like if something happens during the podcast, who can't be sued or anything. Um, but <laughs> before you ask your rapid fire questions, I also have a question um, so that I can just then throw it to Duncan. Duck, you can just ask whatever you want. But I want to hear about the first time you ever did ministry or did some type of um, church presentation in drag. And what was that like? Like, I want to hear how that first time was. One of the first, so it wasn't um, my preaching, but one of the first drag events I did at church was I got a few drag friends together and I did a youth group movie screening of Paris is Burning. And all of my drag friends after the film, um, we all talked about what our drag means to us. Because you see a good amount of that in Paris is Burning and, and some history and and some uh, queer knowledge and so we we all talked about what our drag means to us what we use our drag for you know how how it uh comes through for us and then got the youth to make each other over a little bit and put on some some fab clothes and and walk down the aisle in the sanctuary Um, and we all took pictures up at the front on the stage um and I remember like one of, one of the boys had brought a dress from home. He's like, I thought we were going full out. You know, I, I thought about it as well. And I was like, yes, perfect. Amazing. Let's do it. Um, and he was just 
so profound and so meaningful. And I, I think about that all the time. Um, yeah, that was probably one of the first like drag things that I did in the church, um, at the church that I was working at. Okay, okay, Don, you can do your rapid fire now. Okay, so um, out of the three aspects of of worship, um, liturgy, homiletics, and um, I am forgetting the last one right now, real quick. Shoot, this is embarrassing. <laughs> uh okay yeah no uh liturgy homiletics and uh music which which are your favorite to be a part of um well music is part of liturgy so i'm gonna say liturgy liturgy okay i appreciate that um okay uh which uh <laughs> which uh biblically accurate angel best represents your gender oh Okay, I don't know the names of them, but the one with all the wings. The one with all the wings, with all the eyes on the wings and stuff? It's just a yeah, bunch see, of wings and eyes. I see you eyes. post constant, constant memes about, about that image. Yeah, be not afraid. You it are just literally speaks the most frightening thing I've ever seen in my life. Be not afraid. Ah! Yeah. Oh, amazing. Okay. Um, have you ever gotten really into angelic lore? Ooh. I really want to. It's I, I want to so bad. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna lend you my uh, my my dictionary of angels then. <laughs> oh, please. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, if if Jesus could swear once in the Bible, what uh -huh. would you want him to say and where? That's a very good question. I feel like it would be just something so silly. You know what I mean? Like I feel like Jesus Jeez. wouldn't swear at somebody. He wouldn't swear like to offend somebody but it would just be like a well shit you like yeah. something like that like as, uh, as soon as as soon as like simon peter like looks down when walking on the water maybe <laughs> just like ah, it'd shit. be cool too if he said like holy shit that would be nice <laughs> Yo, that'd be so funny. like i feel like yeah it would just be some sort of offhand like oh shit like or like oh fuck like it wouldn't be at anybody it wouldn't be like you know loud and boisterous it would just be like a to the to the homies <laughs> <laughs> just to the homies that's oh why it's God. not written down it was just for the homies it was just for the homies just for the <laughs> apostles um i mean that that is such a protestant vibe right there like oh yeah we don't swear in church but we'll swear around <laughs> our church friends um <laughs> okay uh la last question uh jesus was a trans girl true or false i've been on the the opinion that jesus was a trans man so that is a very acceptable answer if we think about it he biologically came from mary and i was doing some reading about how if it was only her then only her chromosomes would have passed science. that's a really good point but then again right. science in the bible <laughs> it's true Dunk, did you come up with those questions on the spot? Like, those were surprisingly really good questions. Yeah, I just came up with them right off the dome. Wow. Freestyle questions. Those, those yeah, they're really good. Yeah, go for it. We should keep some of those for another future rapid fire answer if you ever want to pull that again. Or when I come back on the podcast and we talk about drag. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because we didn't necessarily get fully into that, did we? That's a whole. That's a whole can of worms. It's a whole, it's a whole can world. of worms. 
cool can of beans. <laughs> beans and worms. Ew. That's that's a. I weird... don't want my can to have worms. <laughs> no, and thank you. <laughs> Something's contaminated. No, thank you. Other. Okay, never mind. Jules is not ever coming back on this show. <laughs> All right. Thank well, you for thank your you so one much and for only. Having me. <laughs> <laughs> but in all seriousness. Like, yes, thank you for coming on. I love how down you are um, to do things that you're like, oh, that sounds cool or that sounds fun. I'm super down. Um, for y'all who don't know um, and are in the, the personal world of King Jules, Julian does a lot of shit, okay? Like, I am constantly <laughs> well, like, I mean, how? Just how they introduce themselves. Like, oh, yeah, so I, I'm a student I'm in on two, two programs doing two, yeah, two boards. Yeah fucking running no. shit all the time got so many pets like yeah jesus Julian does a lot and i love it because i think that you're just you see something and you're like i enjoy i do and i really love that and i wish i i think i am like that i just don't maybe have as much energy as, as you so like the things i do are like less but yeah i just love it so much and speaking of which do you have anything that's going on right now that you want to plug or that you want to let people know about um, like if they want to learn more about you or hear more or invite you to speak, where, how can they reach out? Um, yeah, so I'm very easily reachable. Um, if you search King Jewels on, on Facebook or Instagram, you can absolutely find me. Um, what else was I going to say? I'm on the planning team for a really cool event in Chicago happening in the first week of October um, called Spiritual Drag Summit. And so we're bringing drag performers and drag spiritual leaders from around North America and I think maybe one or two international friends. Um, and we're getting together to have a weekend conference with workshops and keynote speakers and, and worships and interfaith events. And it's going to be just such a delight. Um, <clears throat> so that's that hat that I'm wearing. And then to my Affirm hat, we're looking for... Um, volunteers and or board members for a firm um, and we're looking to kind of broaden our horizons because our board is largely white um, and largely um, uh, central so we're looking for um, you know some some east coast representation some quebec representation some various representation from around the country a firm is uh, always looking for more folks to to be involved um, and help us propel forward, much like SCM is as well. Um, that's the thing about grassroots organizations, right? We, we rely on our people. Um, and yeah, that's the beautiful part about it. Amazing. Thanks. Yep. And Dunk, what would you like to plug? Well, yeah, speaking of relying on our people, um, please uh, like, comment, and subscribe on the podcast. Uh, leave us a review, rate us five stars on whatever platform you're using. If they have like a rating system, um, word of mouth is a great way to, to spread the word about this podcast. Um, and if you want to hear any more of my content or if you're, um, you know, into Dungeons and Dragons, um, or both, um, you know, y you can check out my other work at, uh, Cast Without Trace. Uh, my buddy Jason and I talk about, uh, yeah, D&D, &D, uh, tabletop RPGs in general, uh, meta narratives, story world building, all that kind of cool stuff. And by cool, I mean incredibly fucking nerdy. Um, but <laughs> it's very fun and very the funny. The very definition of cool. Um, yeah, the very definition of cool. Peak, peak coolness. Um, all the all the cool skater boys are uh, playing D and D now. Um, yeah, uh, <laughs> I don't know where to go from there. But uh, yeah, definitely <laughs> check it out. The link will be below. <laughs> 
in the show notes. It'll be in the show notes, um, as will Jules, uh, you know, public stuff as well. Yes, um, all that info, everything we talked about today, if you reference something that can be found online, will be in the show notes. Yeah, all that good, good stuff. Um, Divi, do you have anything that you want to you wanna throw out there into the endless void of our thousands upon thousands of listeners? Yes, I would like to let the thousands upon thousands of listeners know that SEM programming is running. Uh, by the time this comes out, we must be well into the semester, I believe. And if you want to see what programs we have and if there's anything that you might want to join in on, whether it's a contextual Bible study, a prayer group, uh, a lecture kind of style group, uh, then check out our website, check out our socials, see what's going on, and hop into a group. We're a friendly bunch, so just join in. Yeah, do that right just now. Just join Go in. Look. <laughs> just join in. Slogan. It's our slogan. And Julian, just to confirm, so is it dragonspirituality.com? The summit website? Yeah. Okay, cool. Just want to make exactly. sure I have the right one. Sick. Okay. And once again, Thank you so much for being here, for taking the time to hang out with us and chat with us. And I hope that we can do it again. Yeah. Thank you for having me. I will happily be back. Yay. You heard it here first. Yeah. All right. (laughs) Until next time, we can say bye. Bye, everyone. Bye. To all you Bible-thumping bastards waving red, white, and blue, better get with the program, thought you already knew that your Jesus was brown, yeah. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Samaritan Soapbox, brought to you by the Student Christian Movement of Canada. Special thanks to SCM York's partnership with St. Theodore of Canterbury Anglican Church and the Diocese of Toronto's Reach Grant. For the Holy Bible tells me so, she had such long hair, a great big beard, and everyone around her thought that she was weird, and Jesus loved the generous on this hill die.